so much. Thank you, guys. I, uh, I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Evan. Hi. Wow, what a welcome. What a hi. What a trip. <laughs> I know. How scary is this? I, uh, I want to thank you guys so much for letting me be a part of this. I want to thank Steve and Guy for inviting me. Uh, I want to uh, thank mainly everyone here for letting me be a part of Alcoholics and not a mom and a man. I'm so grateful. I'm so, I'm having such a great time. I really am. I, I, uh, for those of you this is new to, if you're new to AA, I'm not an authority. First off, let me get that out of the way. I'm not an authority. I'm just another falling down vodka blackout drinker. And uh, this, is the, this is the authority in our program right here. So if you don't like what I say, if there's something I say that you really just can't get into, grab somebody and tell them about it and uh, write it down. And uh, get a hold of one of these books and go through and find out where I'm wrong. And uh, it'll start working for you, too. I love... I love it. It's so scary to speak to a group of people you don't know. I don't, you know, it's, I know that other speakers know the thing. I know everybody. You can imagine. The, well, that's why I thank God for Al-Anon. Al-Anon is what allowed me to stand up here and talk. Um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> hey, Al-Anon, tear it up, man. My first sponsor made me go to Al-Anon. I said, why are you making me go to Al-Anon? He says, well, somebody bought me those drinks. And, uh, so. <laughs> and thank God I did. You know what I learned in Al-Anon? I learned, you know, because I had this fear of speaking. And uh, um, it was in Al-Anon I learned that the fear is that you're judging me. And uh, it was also an Al-Anon that I learned that if you are judging me, you have work to do on your program. And it's my job to help you bottom out on that behavior. <laughs> so what can go wrong? It's so great to be here. I was, I was, you know, I'm so spiritual today now that my luggage arrived. I, uh... <laughs> I was really looking forward to being spiritual yesterday, and then the luggage wasn't here. And I, at first, I was like very cool. I was like, "That's it's just stuff, you know." Visualize it appearing; it'll come. The airline's working very hard. It'll. And it was like about an hour away. I tried to walk on the beach and have a little chat with God about the luggage. I know that this is all God's plan. That I don't have luggage. It doesn't matter what people think about the clothes I chose to wear today for the rest of the week. <laughs> and I know all the intellectual stuff. I know I'm alcoholic. I know my head is going to project doom. I know my head. If I sit and focus on my head, the end result is the luggage ain't coming. The clothes you have are going to get stolen. It's just my head's going to go to doom. And uh, I worked this serenity prayer real hard. Um, I was trying to stay serene with it. What's serene and what's courage to let the staff know exactly how important my luggage is. And the staff was terrific, and they took care of me, and it all worked out, you know, as it always does. 
it was just another thing. It always works out. And I never want to waste, you know. I never want to. Thank you, staff. Oh, let's clap for the staff. By all means. You've done a fabulous job. And it was, and, it, and I didn't have time to thank you either. There was just a knock on the door, and I got up, and the luggage was there, and you were gone. And I was like, wow. <laughs> and then I, I slept. Things are great. It's so great to meet everybody and be here. As I said, I'm a falling down vodka drunk. That's what I am. You're looking at a blackout drinker. I love to black out. I don't know about you guys. Blacking out is my favorite thing to do. When Scott said, bam, last night, that was my thing. I love blacking out. I just always have. And it wasn't until I got to AA I found out that those weren't naps. That, uh, I thought I was just fatigued and uh, overworked. And uh, I love blacking out. I just and, and I know today why. I'm scared of people. I'm scared of you. And uh, I'm just naturally, I'm just scared of people. And like blacking out is great. I learned in uh, the early days that black, you can be blacked out and still be at the party. <laughs> I'm still making the scene. I'm just not booting up any software, you know. <laughs> just... You know, it's like the screensaver on a computer, isn't it? I mean, I'm on. I'm just... It's just fish, you know. And I've gone back in sobriety my high school yearbooks, you know. My sister was a cheerleader. My stepsister, she was an alcoholic. She has all these things in her yearbook. It says, you know, hey, Marty, never change. You were fun in Spanish. You're the best mascot we ever had. All my things in my yearbook, I'll say, like, hey, Evan, I remember you in Bonnie's trunk. <laughs> all of them, man. Every one of them. I remember you in the tub at Terry's. There's no, nobody ever said, never change. Because they knew. <laughs> I probably wasn't going <laughs> to. I started drinking. Uh, I, I grew up, uh, give you a little backstory. And uh, I was born in uh, California, but I didn't grow up there. I, uh, we left very early. I, my father uh, wound up raising me. And I didn't know the whole story for a long time. Uh, but he and I wound up running out of money in Utah. And uh, I wound up uh, growing up kind of in northern Utah for a few years. Then he remarried. We wound up in northern Idaho in a little mining town, a little tiny mining town, and that's where I wound up growing up and uh, with a step-family, with brothers and sisters, and I was the youngest, and I was dad's luggage, and I was dad's boy, you know, and he was going to raise me, and she was going to raise them, and that was how it went. And they're a great family. I love them to death. And, uh, but I grew up in northern Idaho, and uh, we weren't rich, we weren't powerful. <laughs> I don't think anybody in Idaho is. I didn't hear about AA, I didn't know, it was just, I didn't know, the alcoholic, we had a neighbor who was alcoholic, and, uh, cause he had told somebody, and then his daughter mentioned it to me, my dad's an alcoholic, and all I knew about him is he drove a real beat up car and went golfing a lot, and I thought, that's what it meant to be an alcoholic, I thought it was just a character thing, you know, you just gotta start golfing, and, uh, 
I didn't think much about it, but uh, growing up in Kellogg, Idaho, I wasn't big enough for sports, and Super Bowl's a hard one for me. My dad always loved football. He's a big football fan. He's like, oh, this is my son. Get out there. Well, I was a small kid. I was a little kid. I would just get killed. I'd go out there junior high and high school. I would just, the ambulance, they took Davis in, and the ambulance would like pull up, you know. I tried really hard, and I couldn't be a jock. I just wasn't big enough. You know, I wound up doing the laundry and being the manager. I, uh, these aren't reasons I drank. These aren't reasons why I'm an alcoholic. These are just little backstory things. You know, I was just looking like everybody to be a cool. You know, and uh, and alcohol did it for me. You know, I didn't. Uh, dad was a good dad. He did everything. We'd go to Sunday school, and I remember asking him. I had a couple belief systems when I was about five. I asked him coming home from Sunday school. I said, Dad. Who is God? I don't get God. I don't understand Noah and uh, the Christmas Santa and uh, the bunny and who's God. And uh, and I was five and he looked down at me and he says, Pal, I really couldn't tell you. And I know he wanted to just give me the freedom of choice. <laughs> but like Scott mentioned at five, I don't need that kind of choice. I'm not going to be doing that homework right away. I uh, I knew then, when he said, I couldn't tell you how, I knew we were in trouble. Because he had the keys, and uh, he had the job, and he paid the rent, and, and he was the guy. And I got kind of nervous then, and I knew the main thing I had to do was get a mom. His, his second mom at that time, or my second mom, his third wife, hadn't quite adjusted to the, having a new young kid, and wasn't real loving, and I don't blame her at all, man. I was a brat, but... I was like, I knew I had to get a mom. And I kept asking him, who is my mom? Why don't I know my mom? He says, your mom didn't take care of you. And I was like, well, there must have been a reason why. I remember at five years old saying to myself, after he said, there's no God, I could put that together with I'm unlovable as a kid, and that's why my mom didn't take care of me, and I got to get money so I can get a mom. And that was my program. That was the program I hung on to, and I worked it real hard for the next, like, uh, 25 years. And uh, when I got to you guys, that was my program. If you were a man, I wanted, or if you were a woman, I wanted you to mother me. And if you were a man, I wanted to borrow your money. <laughs> or meet your wife and girlfriend and get her to mother me. And uh, <laughs> that was my plan. That was it. That was my whole program. That's all I had. I got to go to college in Idaho. It isn't hard in Idaho. Um, <laughs> I think you needed a truck. And uh, I got to... We had a truck. I, I started drinking. My first drinking was in high school in Idaho, in northern Idaho. We tried drugs. You know, we tried. We would do anything in Idaho. We were bored. You know, you're bored. There's nothing going on. And, you know, let's try it. You know, we would try speed. We were like, oh, it's boring. Let's try something quicker. <laughs> and now we're busy and bored. And uh, and I didn't like drugs. But drugs just made me more scared. You know, they just because I'm fear based and. and you know, that smoke the pot, do the ass. It's like it would kill the boredom, but man, now I'm terrified for like 12 hours. <laughs> and I remember, you know, I didn't like the drugs. I mean, blackout is a ways off, you know, when you take LSD. And, uh, 
that's what I do. People, but I wanted to do the drugs because I wanted to be your friend. So I would do whatever you had. You know, I had roommates in college who like sold hash, and I'd like, okay, you know, I'm your pal. And I remember black whatever they gave me, I would drink on top of it. To, to I gotta get to black <laughs> and I was just that's how I drank all the time. I don't think I ever drank without running for a blackout. I really don't believe it. Um, drank through college. It wasn't really. I mean, it was crazy in college, I guess. Uh, I wound up getting out of school. And, uh, I wound up living, I wound up, I moved to Seattle uh, for work. I wound up in uh, doing performing. I was, I was in, uh, when I was in college, the career counselor, I said, I don't know what to do. Everybody seems to have a career choice. He said, well, what are you good at? And I said, I don't know. He said, well, go figure out what you're good at and come back. So I went home and I came back. I said, you know what I'm really good at? Lying. I have an excellent line of bullshit, you know, excuse my language. And he said, well, then you might want to check out the theater department. Because <laughs> I guess law school was full. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, it's just a joke. These are jokes. But I love theater people, you know, because you do lie, and you get, and then after we lie, we drink, and uh, people like it, and uh, it's all about, you know, you're controlling, you're in a crowd, but you're sort of controlling them, so it made it okay to be in crowds, and uh, it was a great thing to perform. It was really nice for me, and uh, I wound up uh, out of college working in Seattle. I wound up in San Francisco working, uh, and. Uh, Boy, things, I started getting paid some money in San Francisco, you know? I started making a little money, and things started getting real crazy when I started making a little money. And I, I had never paid bills on time. I had never, I had made, I would scoop some rent together, you know? But I had never learned how to handle any money or anything. In San Francisco, they started giving me money, and I started finding, I started finding blackouts all over, you know? I'm scared of women. I'll let you know right off. I'm scared of you women. That was my thing. That fear base. Women are mythological creatures to me at this time. Or not now, but they were then. And so I didn't know how to talk to you women. And I didn't know, but I knew I needed a mom, so I didn't know how to do it. And I was living in San Francisco in the Haight-Ashbury, and this is how I would meet women. I would hang out. There was a bar across the street from where I lived called Bradley's, and it was the coolest little bar. You could have sold bait. It was great. And it was right across the street on the end Judah line, so it was a commuter bar, you know? And during the day, it was just people commuting, and at night, it was owned by a gay guy named Bill, and all the gay guys would come in at night, and I'd still be there, you know? And I'd hang in, I didn't really discover this right away, but I found out Brian was the bartender, and he'd be pouring me drinks, and, you know, a couple guys go, are you gay? And I go, well, I don't think so, you know? And, uh, and they'd pour me doubles, and I'd... Uh, <laughs> And I love those guys. I love Brian. And you know what happened? Every once in a while, a woman would come in late at night, straggle home from work, decide to have a drink. She'd walk in, sit at the bar, and they'd go, oh, well, he's down there, you know. <laughs> and I had this act I'd do. I'd do this poor me toe in the dirt with sort of a cigarette hanging. I'm a misunderstood poet sort of thing, you know. And it really attracted a certain kind of woman that, uh, that, that usually had a job. And... Uh, <laughs> And a car, and uh, and I do that pose, and, and you know that's I I drank through a couple of relationships that I I found at Bradley. The first one I drank, uh, Deborah out of the house in a year and a half, 
Um, the next one I met was an Irish Catholic mental health nurse. <laughs> Where's the Al-Anon cheer now? <laughs> I know. Oh, God bless her. And she's in recovery. She's been, she got in recovery right when I did, too. I mean, God bless you people. You saved us so much. I, um, this is how I... It started getting down, you know? By this time, by my second relationship, I was having two good to three good blackouts a day. I was, when I was seriously drinking, I had a window, I had two windows a day of about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, where I could actually form a sentence and communicate with you. And uh, what I would try and do in those 45 minutes is wash the car before she got home. And uh, my family said, my father said, look, we're, we're on to it. They'd seen me and they said, uh, you're alcoholic. Don't come home. And those messages started coming in. People didn't want to hang out with me anymore, which I couldn't get, because it was fun at first, you know? It was fun. I'm the party guy. It's okay. And I started getting these messages. Dad said, don't come home until you're six months sober. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, you don't, how can you say I'm your son? Right? There's money to lend me, you know? I remember being appalled. I was just in that. People would cancel work. I wound up not work. I couldn't work. Uh, I wound up... Uh, I couldn't pay rent. I couldn't contribute to the household. And because she was in the mental health community, she knew about detox. I didn't know about detox. I'd never heard the word. I had no idea. So people showed up from AA and, and talked to me, and they seemed like great people, but then they'd just take off. And I was like, well, let's hang, you know? And they were like, no, here's the thing, come to a meeting. And I'm like, no, hang here, you know, come to my meeting at the bar, you know. And uh, it started getting so lonely, you know. That was what it started getting, those phone calls late at night, calling people, you know, drunk. Uh, the first detox, man, I didn't realize what alcoholism was until my first detox. I didn't realize how scary the disease is. I went, she took me to a nice detox down in uh, San Mateo and uh, checked me in. I came to in this detox and I'm like, whenever I come into a new place, I'm like, okay, who's the coolest guy? Where do I hang? You know, what's the look? And uh, it's detox. <laughs> There's no look. There's nobody whistling that detox tune, you know. Everybody just wanted to sell their car. And it was noisy, I remember that. The walls only went like so high to the ceiling. So you could hear everybody throwing up, making all these noise. I'm like, they should finish the walls. So we don't have to listen to that. And it was the first time I'd ever detoxed. I mean, I'd been shaky before, but I'd never been totally without. So I had never ridden through that physical, that trauma, that the shake started. And it was so violent. It was like, what the hell is this? And I, you're embarrassed, you know, that embarrassment, that like, you know. <laughs> Could somebody tell me what this is? <laughs> Has this ever happened to you? <laughs> and some of the older guys, there were no meds or anything, and they said, tea and honey, get your blood sugar, you know, it's your blood sugar. I'm like, oh, okay, and tea and honey, and I'm like trying to do that, and I was embarrassed. I went into another room, and I'm having the tea and the honey, and I'm trying to get it down, and 
and I look over, and I'm by myself in this room, I look over and I see a nine-inch high mariachi band made up of cats. <laughs> and they were playing, and they were good, you know. And it scared me at first, and I thought, oh, that's okay, <laughs> And it was when one of the facilitators, a guy came in to see if I was okay, and I was like, the cat, you know? <laughs> and he didn't get it. He didn't hear, he didn't hear the cat. He didn't see the cats. And that terrified me. That was the first glimpse I got of that terror. It was an icy chill that I'm, my mind is slipping here. There might come a time where there's just cats and me, you know. And that fear from that detox and riding through the illness of that, I got out of there and I was, I stayed away from alcohol for six months. I, that was, I am done, believe me. And uh, went back to her and it was like, I'm, I'm showering, I'm, uh, I'll do. And, uh, I couldn't, you know, I wound up back, somebody hired me to work, I wound up at a casino in Tahoe and the entertainment director sent up a basket with a bottle of wine and it looked so good with the, the wine and the basket and the fruit. And, uh, there was a corkscrew there too, like okay, I got it, it's the director. And, uh, went back out. And I wound up, uh, I wound up in a treatment, one of the treatment facilities. I wound up in a 28-day thing after that. Some friends got me on some insurance. People were really pulling for me. I had a lot of great people that really wanted, got me into a 28-day place that had been closed down and was reopening, which doesn't bode well for it. But when I got in, I checked in, there were four of us and 30 beds. And they have, they have group, they have group therapy about every 20 seconds in those places. <laughs> And we ran out of stuff on like day two, you know. And we were snapping at each other, like, well, my wife, not your wife again, you know, we're, shut up, you know, we're, and we're hiding, we're stealing desserts, we're hiding from the staff, we're running around, it was just, it was just nuts. And, I got out of there and uh, they actually took me to my first speaker meeting, my first AA meeting, really, where I heard what you guys had. I heard the joy. I heard the laughter. That's what I heard. And uh, I couldn't believe it. It was a room. It was a big room. I don't know. It, it was probably a third the size of the crowd, but I'll tell you, it seemed like ten times this size. And you guys were laughing so hard. And I was laughing along with you so hard and I could not believe how good I felt. And you know, it was just that one meeting. Um, I got back to the Haight-Ashbury and stayed sober for a couple months. And I would hit some of the meetings in the Haight-Ashbury where they weren't that laugh thing. They were, okay, they said, I'd run, and I, I wound up going back out. I just couldn't, I wound up, somebody said, ecstasy's okay if you do this, and then you're okay, that's not alcohol. And I was like, oh yeah, and you just feel good. <laughs> and then, uh, I wound up not wanting to deal with the feeling bad afterwards. The story, two and a half years. It took me two and a half years to surrender uh, and come to you guys. Um, my last detox, I don't know for sure how many I did, probably, I don't know, five or six in the Bay Area. My last detox was up in San Rafael, California, Lincoln House. 
and she dropped me off there and she said, this is it. My family didn't even want to talk to me. No one would hire me. Um, when I drank, these blackouts were just there. They were there. And it was, I could not talk, I could not function. I was at the point where I would lay down on the sidewalk, wherever I was. And, uh, <laughs> I know. She checked me into this detox and she said, this is it. This is the last one. And checked me in and I had to get a medical somehow. She'd taken me to a medical because I'd done some other drugs. and. Uh, I came to in Lincoln House, and it was a little residential house, uh, like two floors, and I was upstairs, I came to upstairs, and I just was done. I was just, I want to, that's it. I want to kill myself. I want to drink or I want to die. I don't want to live without drinking. And I don't know how to kill myself. I, I have fingernail clippers, that's all I have. <laughs> and I knew that would be tedious. <laughs> And then the shake started, you know, and the thing started, and I'm like, I don't even care. And this was my prayer. That was my prayer. I was like, if there is a God, give me a flicker of hope. Because there was no light at the end of my tunnel. I didn't see any reason to keep doing life. And that was my prayer. If there is a God, give me a flicker of hope. And I went downstairs for tea and honey, you know, and it was the kitchen and there were a couple guys shuffling around. They'd made spaghetti or something. And you could see through the front porch of this uh, little house where that was their check-in thing. And these guys had made spaghetti. They were cleaning up. And they, there was some activity out on the porch. There was a guy checking in. And uh, and you're sort of watching. Well, this guy, like, had a suit on. He looked fine. And these guys had mentioned somebody taking it. Well, this guy came in. The guy had on like a three-piece suit. He was coiffed. He looked great. He was like six, I don't know, just huge. I was sitting at the table. I don't know how tall. I'm, I'm there. He comes in. These other guys shuffle off. And the guy sits right down at the table like that. And he looks right at me. He says, how you doing? And I said, not good. How you doing? And he said, not good. And he started talking. He said he had six or seven years sober. I don't remember the exact number. Six or seven years sober with, with AA. And he had gone and bought his six or seven-year-old son a bike for his birthday. And he said the next day his son was hit and killed on a bike. And I couldn't believe this guy was talking to me. And he said he went to a bar and he said he ordered a drink. And the drink came, and he drank the drink, and he said he put the glass down on the bar, he got up from the bar, and he came back to the last place where he stopped drinking and gotten sober, which was Lincoln House Detox, sitting right where I was sitting. And he was talking to me. And I couldn't believe this guy. And he said, putting the glass down on the bar was the hardest thing he'd ever done in his entire life. Putting that glass down, getting up, and coming away was the hardest thing. And he said he'd done a lot of hard things in his life. He said he'd been special forces in Vietnam. He'd gone in. His job was to go in and get POWs out. was his job. He said that had been hard. That was hard. He said, but putting that glass down, coming back, was the hardest thing in his entire life. And I was sitting across from the table, and I realized this guy just saved my... I didn't realize then, but I know now this guy saved my life. It was a world-class hero. 
this guy, I'll never meet anybody with the top. Thrown up his arms, pal, called going, this is the hardest thing I've ever encountered. And that guy, if he can surrender, just maybe all my little Idaho ideas, all my goofy little fun party boy blackout ideas might be wrong. <laughs> and I let it go. I said, I'm going to start totally from scratch. If this guy's going back to AA, I'm going back to AA. This is the kind of people I want to hang out with. And it was that guy, one alcoholic talking to another, that saved my life. I surrendered that day, and I had some couple guys from the Hate Ashbury AA meeting came and got me out of that detox a couple days later. And I just did whatever they said. They were big guys, too. They jammed me in the back of a Volkswagen, and we were driving across the Golden Gate Bridge. And you know, when you get out of detox, you're still like this. And they're like, the sun was open. They're like, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, God, where are we going? They're like, to a meeting. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, man, so soon. You know, I was, uh, I was kind of hoping for a nap. And, uh, you know, I had I listened to these two guys, Charlie and Austin, man. And uh, Austin became my first sponsor. And I realized I got to get out of her way. You know, I moved on to Austin's floor. And I, I lived on his floor. Uh, Within that first week, I got I took direction. You guys said, "Look, your relationship is not helping you. It's not helping her. You might want to just, you know." And uh, so I did. And uh, I was hitting AA meetings with Austin. I immediately started going to like three a day whenever they had them there. And uh, um, my family called. My stepmom called. She said, "Your father's been diagnosed with cancer, and he's been given six months to live. We'd like to have you, you know." I'd like to get there, you know, but uh, I was stunned, and I, I sat down with Austin, and he said, what do I do? He says, well, you know, what did your father say, six months sober before you come home? I said, yeah, he said, well, sounds to me, what are you going to do? Before he said, so, he said, what are you going to do? And I'll never forget, that was the best thing Austin ever said to me as a sponsor, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to do what you do. He said, all right, because you don't want to go back to Austin, yeah, no. I did what you guys did, you know, I did the inventory. I went and I surrendered. I did I did the meetings. I, I got with you guys. I, I did the inventory. I uh, I started trying to meditate, you know. I was I was doing everything you told me. Um, hanging with the new people, reaching out to people with less time than me. I was doing what you did and you know what happened? I got a little job. I was I, I got a little job and uh, working in a warehouse, I saved a little money in that first six months. I got to go home and give my dad my six-month shit. And he waited, you know. He said, what you're doing is princely to everyone in the family. And I'd never had him refer to me as princely before. And uh, that was a spiritual awakening, and that's when I swore to you guys, I mean, I'm going to do whatever you people say, <laughs> you know. I came, I got to hang out. I got to be with the family through his dying, you know. We got to make some amends to each other. We got to clear up a lot of stuff. I started finding out about the past, you know, from his last wife. And uh, I knew I had family in California, you know. I came back to San Francisco and I started working again, you know. And I got back to my meetings. I was with the sponsor. I wound up getting an apartment and I People asked me to work again, and I, I realized when I first had this job working in this warehouse, I'd come home with this paycheck, go off, and look at the pay, look what they didn't pay me, and he'd say, you know, well, maybe that's how much service you're being. <laughs> I'm like, oh. 
Then I started looking at my past career as a form of service. Am I of service? What is the service I provide? And you know, because of that concept that you guys gave me, I was able to go back to work and be of service. You know, I was able to make some money. I got invited to down to Los Angeles, working down there. I got I got invited places rather than having to push my way in. You know. Um, and I got, to, I got to LA and it was like I needed a new sponsor. Austin moved to Arizona. I didn't have anybody in, but I got to shopping because I had a few bucks now, you know, and I, I kind of got distracted. I was hitting meetings, but I was really busy shopping and working a lot to pay for the credit cards where I was buying things. And I'd made some amends, you know, I'd, I, had, I had big financial amends and I'd made the ones I did in San Francisco with the tax money that I didn't pay. Because the IRS knows where to find you, you know, and... Um, so I had these heavy bills still from the IRS, but I knew that I'd keep, I'll catch up with them and I was shopping and you want to look good in LA and you got to have a car that matches your shoes and then a shirt that matches the clothes. And so I was like, I want to look good and look good and I was getting away from you guys like this. And you know, it just got to be so tense. I got so tense and I had all this stuff. I had an apartment with a view and a marble fireplace going on a sober look and look at the view and it, it was, I was, uh, I got this, uh, I was on the road in San Francisco back up there and I was in that quake, that quake hit and I was so tightly wound, that quake hit and I was like, it's God talking to me. <laughs> Time to get a life going, you know, and the phone rang and it was a girlfriend, a woman I'd met in uh, Canada and she said, are you okay? And I went, yes, I have to marry you. And uh, <laughs> she said, okay. And I said, I'll be up as soon as I can. And, uh, and I hung up. I, drove up to Canada and got her, we got her, look how good you look in the car, and look at with the shoes, and she was like, oh. and we put some, the right music on and drove down the coast, and we looked so good, man, and it was like, you know, throwing money that wasn't mine, and it was like, oh, it was the best two months ever, and, uh, trying to hit meetings but not really and I got to a point we we turned out we didn't know each other <laughs> and there was a point where I was actually holding up my new white custom sofa and she had a knife and I <laughs> and I said to myself I gotta get back to some meetings and, uh, and I get a sponsor and uh, and I did. I got a great sponsor. I went out and I got Howard, and I don't even know how he came into my life. I really don't, but he knew, you know, what to say, how to do it. Howard was just so wise. And I would call him with the, I wound up having to do inventory and make amends to her. I had to move her back. I had to, look, I don't, you don't know me. I got it here. And I helped her get back to where she was, and we, we were fine with that. And then, uh, I was, Howard walked me through all that, and it got to a point where I, uh, I got a bill from the IRS. Yeah, right after that, because I'd spent my tax money I was going to catch up with on the divorce, you know. And I got this bill from the IRS, and it said, pay now. It didn't say, when you get it, you know. It didn't say, we're real happy about your drinking, you know. Pay now. And it had this figure next to my name, and I just, oh my God. You know, I just, I was leaving, and I figured I'll call Howard before I go. And I called Howard, and I said, Howard, I got big problems. These are big problems. And Howard had never talked about Jesus before, any of that. He had just been all the stars and the cosmos and God. And I called Howard, and I said, I got big problems, man. He said, Jesus had big problems. <laughs> I said, I reckon he did, Howard. 
big, though. This is the IRS, you know, and uh, they want it now. It says, pay now, right here. And, and, uh, and he said, well, it's a big problem. And he said, Jesus' problems were pretty big, don't you think? I said, yeah, to him. And I was so terrified. I was so terrified. And he said, have you ever not had problems? I didn't know. He said, yeah, there's been problems since Jesus. He says, I've never not had problems. He says, do you ever think there will come a time when we won't have problems? I said, probably not. He says, you know, in AA, we don't have to run from our problems. We can show up and we take the action and we have faith. And we walk through to the solution. You know? And he gave me just enough break from that fear and that terror. I mean... You know, I learned about, I learned about, it's money. It's their money. I owe them money. I had to do the, I did what you guys say. Okay, God, here you go. God, do my inventory. What do I owe? Okay, I spent their money. I haven't paid. They paved all the streets. They put rockets on Mars. We need that. <laughs> you got to have tanks everywhere. Battleships, you know, and i got to pay for all that. And I realized maybe I was living beyond my means, you know. <laughs> I looked around, I had all this stuff, I had the furniture, I had a walk-in closet with all these clothes to look good, I had this car that matched the shoes, I had the this, the that, the do, the that, the that. And it was all outside, it didn't make me feel any better. And, uh, you know, I realized that I learned so much from Howard. The thing I learned in my divorce was what love, love is not. Love is not how you look together and glance across the room. Love is not how you look driving down the coast in your car. Love is when I look at my wants and put them aside and ask what I can do to make your day go better and do it. That's love. I learned that from you guys through Howard. The money thing, I learned I'm living beyond my means. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta live cheaper. And it was in a meeting. I went to a meeting after that. It was in the Marina Del Rey from Hong Kong. I was in a meeting. This woman, I was telling the secretary of the meeting, I got these problems with the IRS and this and that. And she said, let's go for a walk on the water. And we went down and we were walking around the boats and I'm like, hey, this and that. And she was listening and she said, well, that boat over there is for sale. I went, really? That's excellent. You know, that there's a yacht available. <laughs> I owe all this money, can I have it? And she said, no, I know the guy has to sell it. She said, how about you move on to that boat? You know, you'll save some money. You can get ready to put your stuff in storage. And I went, oh. And I'd never sailed. I had a stepbrother lived on a boat up north. I'd never sailed. It was a sailboat. But, you know, I'd seen the commercials, you know, and uh, <laughs> the jacket and the cigarette. And, uh, and I did it, you know. Yeah, I can save money, and I did the budget, and I moved on to the sailboat. And it hadn't been sailed in like 10 years. The guy needed to sell it, but the guy in the program had to sell it, and because uh, he had this deal, he had to pay, and so we did did the deal. And it was a funky little boat, but it needed work. It was fiberglass, so it wasn't going to sink anytime soon. And uh, I moved on to this boat, and I realized you got to start sailing it. If you're just living on a boat and you're not sailing it, you're just a homeless guy on a boat. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you.
so I started reading, you know, all about sailing, you know, and all the books and, and doing all the work. And it took me like a year doing work, you know, and I set, did the work and uh, um, got this boat fixed up and it was sailable. And one day I just like, hey, I'm going sailing. And uh, you guys, I went to a meeting, I'm going sailing. Everybody said, well, what about lessons? Have you, you know, and I'm like, how hard could that be, really? You just uh, up the sails, you know. And, um, <laughs> nobody went with me, but I'm going, you know. And uh, I got out there, and I've been living on this boat for a year, so everything I own of value is on it. Um, I got out and motored out, got in the midway of the Marina Del Rey Channel, and uh, I was like, yeah, let's go. And I upped the mainsail. I, the mainsail went up. The wind came down one of the channel. It hit that mainsail, and my whole life just went like that. <laughs> and if you've never sailed, you think it's going around. You think that's it. That's my one shot. I'm out of here. Let out a rope, you know. I was like, ah, and I let out the rope, and the boom swung out, and the sailboat came back up like that, and it moved forward. And I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you sail, right there. <laughs> and somehow or other, I got back to the dock that night, you know. And I got back to the dock and grabbed the book, and I was like, what the hell was that, you know? And, and it talks about healing, it calls it healing, the boat heals like that, and it's supposed to do that, which I hadn't read about or felt the sensation. And it talked about the attitude of the sails, and I was like, huh. And it talked about how you don't have control over the waves or the wind or the tide. You don't have control over any of that. All you have control of in a sailboat is the attitude of your sails and the attitude of your rudder. And I went, bing. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> and it was you guys. The idea that I don't have, that's God. That's God. That's nature, you know? I look out there and I saw people out on those little catamarans uh, today, you know? And that's it. It's so fabulous. It's one of the last wildernesses. And sailing became this spiritual analogy for me. It's church for me today. I'm a guy who could not get out of bed for more than an hour a day. I got invited, I started getting into sailing. I was invited to sail back from Hawaii with a guy. He needed delivery. He wasn't an alcoholic either, he didn't know. <laughs> I got to help him, I got to be good crew and sail a race and go back from Hawaii to Santa Barbara in sobriety, you know, because of you guys, yeah. And that night sky, if you have trouble with the concept of God, and sometimes it wavers for all of us like it did when my luggage was lost. <laughs> I gotta get back to my concepts of God. I need a refresh. I need to look for a spiritual awakening. Sometimes I gotta go out and find them, you know. And nature works for me. But I get out whether it's the ocean. Some people it's rock climbing. Some people it's out in the desert. I don't know. For me it's the ocean. There was something about Hawaii when we left Hawaii. I'll tell you what. You're laying in that boat and that warmth, and the sun goes down, and the sky opens up, and it's light. There are just millions of lights and there are, there are shooting stars, there are comets, there is stuff. I don't know about you, but my concept before I had conceived of God as this guy in a laboratory doing weird experiments, just kind of slinging them out there going, that didn't work, you know. <laughs> that didn't work, you know. You know what? 
those stars opened up, that warmth, the boat was moving, the salt water, it was this whole sensation that I'm totally taking care of in the womb, this universe is, is a womb. And I just, I'll tell you what, it was a tremendous feeling and it was one of those spiritual awakenings I would have never looked for if I didn't know you people, you know? And it changed my life. I had, I, I got back and I got real depressed because I paid the IRS off. I paid them off their money and they didn't send a thank you. <laughs> It was nothing. It was, you know, good work. It was just I paid him off and that was it. And, and I got real depressed because I was like, well, what now? I've done the stuff. There should be limousines or something. Shouldn't I have a show? Shouldn't I have something and more money? And, uh, and it was uh, not happening. And I got real depressed around it, you know. And I had to go sailing again. And I had to go sailing again. I got invited to deliver a 41 down to Baja with a guy. He said, there's two of us coming. If you would like to come, I said, yeah, I'd love to come. And he said, great, you're navigator. And I, I'd never navigate. I, I said, are you in a hurry? <laughs> I can get you there. I, uh... And these two guys had been in careers, you know, and they'd had a number of careers, and they'd started over at various ages, you know, and they gave me permission. It was two men who gave me permission to start a new career at 42 years old, you know. And uh, it's stuff like that that I can listen to people who know things I don't know. Um, all my living skills today, I got to start a new career. You know, when I first came to you guys, all I wanted to do was laugh again. I really did. I just wanted to walk on a beach and laugh again. I, I don't care if I was picking up litter with a stick. I, don't, I just wanted to throw my head back and have a real gut laugh. And, you know, on a beach, and I got it, you know. I got it just so amazingly, you know. I laugh all the time. I was doing nightclubs for 20 years and I, you know, I was performing and I realized that 20 years of doing this that I have incredible stage fright. <laughs> and I didn't want to do it anymore. So I had to look at how I could be of service. I came back to you guys. What service? What service can I do? Well, maybe I can write humor for other performers, you know. And so I started working on that, and I started studying it, and I went back, and I talked to guys, and you know what? It happened this last year, you know, a year ago I started this company, and it's taken off, and I had, because, and you know how it started? What do I want to do? Because I can do anything in AA. What do I want to do? And I said, I want to be on a sailboat, and I want to laugh. What does that pay? <laughs> And I started looking, how can I be of service doing it? And you know what? I'm being of service and I'm working really hard and it's happening and it's working, you know? And everything you guys have told me has come true, you know? I mean, uh, promises, everything beyond my wildest dreams, you know? I get, I have so many tremendous gifts. The family, you know, they love me. I went back and found out the story around my family. Um, I had a brother call me from Utah. He hadn't seen me in, I don't know, 30 years. And uh, he, he said, how much you know about your family? And I said, not much. And I went back and it turns out he had my baby pictures. He was my half brother. He had, uh, turns out my father had kidnapped me from uh, Glendale uh, when I was two because my mother was blacking out. And he had thrown me in the car. He'd gone to his doctor at Glendale, her doctor at Glendale Hospital. He said, what do I do? My wife's alcoholic. And the doctor said, there's nothing you can do. So he went home and he put me in the car and he drove. And we wound up in Utah. And six months later she found out where I was and came after us and she was still drinking and uh, she got arrested for kidnapping. And she wound up in the Utah State Mental Hospital. She wound up in and out of there. She never got what you guys had. 
in 58, it was tough to get, you know. And uh, the idea that he can tell me that story, that I, I mean, what must have been going through my father's head? My father thought if he raised me away from alcoholism, I would be okay. And here I was, bang, in high school, down in bottles, you know, college. I mean, I can't imagine what went through his head, seeing it. And, uh, to find out that story, to meet this half-brother, to meet his three little boys. I have nephews, and two of them are exactly like Uncle Heaven. <laughs> Chris has two years now. Pretty incredible, yeah. And Tracy's working on it. He's having a hard time, man, but he's doing it. I got to come back to L.A. I said, what about Dad's other wife? The first wife. He had wives before. I came back to L.A. I looked them up. I found another half-brother I hadn't seen. I found Chuck. I traced him down, and he couldn't believe it. He could not believe it. We are identical, man. We are identical. And I, I told him the story about Dad, and I got to hook up with him, and he has a little girl. I got to go to his wedding. I got to I hold his little girl. I got to hold his baby boy at Christmas this year, you know, Ryan. I mean, so many gifts, and they're all from you guys. You know, I have a life today. I can show up for people. I have people... I'm self-supporting. I have people I love. Women, I have women friends that I love. I don't I don't need a mommy today. It's nice once in a while. <laughs> if you're a guy, I don't need to borrow your money. I don't need that from you. I want to hear your situation. I can share. I can listen. I can honestly give you feedback. I can be a friend today, you know. But these are all living skills I didn't even have a shot at. I had no shot at any of it, you know. Everything I know today I learned from you guys, from people here in AA. I get to, I get too spiritual too, I get too into it and I start getting real cocky about it. I don't know about you. I'll start getting too wrapped up in it. And I'll forget to laugh at myself. <laughs> I went through McDonald's drive through This was last year, I went through McDonald's drive through and I ordered that crispy chicken meal. They give you the crispy chicken and fries. And I got up to the window, and uh, I paid for it, and the woman handed me a bag, and I put it in there, and it was really heavy. And I knew it wasn't just one crispy chicken. <laughs> and I said, thank you. <laughs> and I drove out of there, because I beat McDonald's. I got a happy meal, man. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I look, and there's two crispy chickens, and I'm out of my mind. I'm like, yeah, and I run home, I drive home, yeah, I scored big, and I got home and scarfed down the crispy chickens, you know, and start feeling kind of sick. <laughs> and I'd been reading them at Fox, and I got to thinking about karma, and about how it's not, thou shalt not steal, you can't steal, and it comes back on you, and I started with all these concepts and I called my, my guys my, my guys in the, in the stag you know and Jim what this crispy chicken thing happened and I I think I stole it he's like yeah you can't do that yeah <laughs> I'll bring it up a group you know and uh, we got together and we started talking about it they did this with the crispy chicken and another guy said yeah I did it with a modem once and I had to take it back and I did this and I realized I gotta get this I gotta pay for this Drink. I'm gonna end up in it. And I was like, the next day I drive back to the same McDonald's. I'm going in the same area. I go in and I order a crispy chicken. At that time, I have a crispy chicken meal, and I go up to the window and uh, and, I, and I pay for it. And I ask the woman. I said, excuse me. And she hands me the bag, and there's one in it. And I said, excuse me. How much is one crispy chicken sandwich by itself? 
And she said, would you like another one? And I said, no, no. The other day I came through, I ordered one crispy chicken meal and uh, paid for it, and you gave me two crispy chickens, and I didn't say anything. And uh, I would like to pay for that crispy chicken. And she said, that was a special we were having. <laughs> Why do I need to laugh? And what I love about laughing is humor is human. Humor is derived from the word human. What's funny is that we're human. And to accept being human is what you guys do here. And humor is so valuable. And I realized humor, I didn't, why didn't I laugh when I was out drinking? Why did the laugh stop coming? Why was nothing funny anymore? And I realized because I couldn't see myself as human. I was worshiping my own thoughts. There was no, there was no distance. I couldn't get the joke. I didn't see the joke. I was too close. And it's not until I came to you guys, I got some concept of a higher power that's not me, that I can step back and I can get a little perspective and I can look at my ideas and see how just stupid they really are. And I get the joke, you know? And you know, I see God, I know, this concept of a higher power and I believe there's a consciousness and I believe it connects in our eyes you know it was when that one alcoholic talked to me and I connected in his eyes and I heard him and I believe that I see God in your eyes and I think that it's that's why they say you know um, grab another person and they, they say you know make God laugh tell him your plan and we get to do that here thank you guys so much for letting me be a part of this. Thanks for letting me come.